You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual It's almost tax day here in the United States, and a little tax note, a little note about where some of our tax dollars will be going. Uh, Democrats, of course, celebrating the last uh, several weeks because Barack Obama and the Democrats managed to do something with control of the White House and both houses of Congress, pass the health insurance reform bill and sign it into law. All very good. And you know, not a single Republican vote, not one. No Republican support whatsoever, and you heard in the, you know in the in the final days of the debate that there were two hundred amendments in the final bill that had been suggested by Republicans, and they had, they had been included. The Democrats included them in an effort to you know be bipartisan to reach out to the party um, that could really give a fuck about reaching back or reaching around. And one of those Republican amendments, as it turns out. Uh, was suggested by Orrin Hatch, Republican senator of Utah, who voted against health insurance reform, of course, and to the tune of one quarter of a billion dollars to be spent over the next five years. Yes, guess what? They put back into the federal budget $50 million a year for abstinence-only sex education. They had taken that out. It's back in to please Orrin Hatch and social conservatives who all voted against and are out there uh, storming around in public screaming about socialism and the apocalypse and the end of uh, America and our constitution. To please them, they put this idiocy back into the federal budget, quarter of a billion dollars next five years on a sex education program that we now know results in Bristol Palins, results in pregnant teenagers results in higher STI rates for teenagers who've been subjected to abstinence-only education. There is also in the bill $75 million a year for comprehensive sex education, but you can only go for one or the other. So it's not like places are going to teach both and apply for both grants because if you're teaching abstinence-only, you can't also teach comprehensive so basically, some kids in some states will get this abstinence-only horseshit, and some kids in other states will get comprehensive sex ed, and then these kids will all fuck each other. I guess. Anyway, it's almost as appalling as our fierce advocate-in-chief, uh, Barack Obama, and the Democrats stripping out all the gay-specific, gay-positive, gay rights uh, aspects of health insurance reform, including there was a provision in there. If your domestic partner can't get married, you're on your partner's health insurance at work, you will be taxed as income for that that, that benefit. Married people are not taxed for uh, being on their spouse's health insurance programs through work. And that was supposed to be rectified in health insurance reform and was not at the last minute. It was stripped out. So what did we get? At the end, health insurance reform. I'm all for it. I think it's really good. People can't be excluded for pre-existing conditions. Anymore, insurance companies can't get away with booting people off their plans once they get sick anymore and there are other benefits coming. We're going to insure 32 million people don't have insurance. However, to appease the Republicans and social conservatives who voted against the bill en masse, we had to put back in absence-only sex education, quarter of a million dollars, and strip out fairness and equality for gay and lesbian couples. Welcome to America. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Smitten Kitten, offering an amazing selection of products for your sex life. 
Enter Savage Kitten at smittenkittenonline.com for 20% off your next purchase. Hi, uh, I'm a uh, 37-year-old man and um, calling for a little bit of advice. About 10 years or so ago, I had been in a uh, long-term relationship with a woman who was great. Nothing against her at all. But, you know, we were sort of split. Our lives were moving apart. I loved her. I thought she was great. But um, I just didn't think it was going to have a long-term chance. So uh, the summer before she moved away to go to grad school, uh, I started seeing somebody else on the side. And it was really terrible in the sense that, you know, I still loved this woman I was with. But uh, I also was kind of trying to find a way out, I guess you could say. And so I did this. And then afterwards, I never told her. We broke up. And I never really told her what I had been doing. And 10 years later, I'm feeling guilty about all of this. It it, it sort of hung on me for a long time. And I had some personal issues going on now. And I decided, well, I didn't want to go to my deathbed with her not knowing what I had done. So I sent her an email saying, look, I know I'm a bastard for doing this, but I think you should know this is what happened. And um, first, she was originally very understanding about it. You know, we don't really talk all that much. We'll occasionally email or Facebook or whatever. But she's very understanding. And then her messages started getting a little more accusatory, a little more threatening. And I guess I kind of understood that. Um, I mean, we were in love and I had betrayed her and I was a bastard, so I can accept it. But you know, she clearly indicated and indicated she wants to talk to me about it. And my feeling is, this is 10 years ago, I've moved on, she's moved on, we're both married, she has kids, I have a kid on the way, you know, it's not as though I want to get back together with her or anything, I just needed to get this off my chest. And I guess I feel I, uh, uh, that I'd like to let it go. And I'm just wondering if, if that makes me a complete bastard. I know I was a bastard for cheating on her. I was probably pretty selfish for coming clean 10 years later and hurting her again. Um, and I'm wondering if I sort of owe her a phone call and owe her a long conversation about it. We don't really talk, and I'm kind of happy like that in our sort of very informal, casual relationship, and it would kind of be hard to talk to her again and bring up a lot of things. So am I... Uh, a complete bastard for not wanting to do this. Do I owe her a conversation? What the fuck is wrong with you? Seriously. Oh, yeah, it was 10 years ago. I moved on. She's moved on. Don't really want to unpack this. Then why the fuck did you call her and lay this on her now? If you've moved on, if you're so over this, maybe you felt bad. You felt a little guilty. Here's what you did. You felt bad. You felt guilty. And so you decided, for vengeance sake, because there's no other reason to do what you've done, you decided to reach out across the years and the distance and make her feel bad. You are trying to punish her for something you think she did wrong. And so you succeeded. You made her feel terrible. And now she has feelings and she wants to talk to you about them. And now you're like, oh, yeah, fuck you. That was 10 years ago. La, 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 la. Are you being an asshole? You bet you're being an asshole. You are being a hemorrhoidal, anal wart speckled, santorum smeared asshole. Gold plated coming and going. Do you owe her a phone call? At least a phone call. You don't have to go see her. You don't have to have coffee. You owe her at least a phone call where you just apologize 
Tell her that you were an asshole to bring it up and then let her lay into you. Let her at least think that she shifted the bad feeling that you were having, that you shifted to her. Let her think, even if she doesn't succeed, that she shifted those bad feelings back to you by calling you the asshole that you are. And then drop it. And then never bring it up ever again. Don't have any contact with her ever again. But you can't do this like, tag, you're it. Now I don't have contact with you. Bullshit around this revelation. Asshole. Hi, Dan. This is Danielle. I'm a 29-year-old female. Um, I've been seeing this man for about three months. And um, we're pretty much falling in love. We're pretty great together and... Both of us have been in long-term relationships, and we both feel like uh, we've never felt the way that we do about each other about anybody. But, so, now we have this little problem. Um, we both want to explore some BDSM benefits, um, and uh, I have just a tiny bit. He never has. He's wanted to, but his partners in the past have just been more vanilla. Um so he has some anger issues, which he, he doesn't take out on me, and I never really see him take it out on anybody. He just tells me. Um, but so the first time he pulled my hair, he pulled out a big clump of my hair. <laughs> and um, the other night he was going to tie me up for the first time. And I, when he pulled out my hair, he felt horrible, you know. Um, but so the other night he was going to tie me up for the first time and he tied one hand and he tied it so tight it was cutting off the circulation. And when I told him it was too tight, he just kind of got frustrated and was like, well, if I can't do it how I feel it, then I'd rather not do it at all. And, you know, he said, oh, I don't want to hurt you. If you can't take it, then I'm, I won't do it at all. And my thing was, you know, but this is really important to me. I really want to get tied up and I want my hair pulled and all that and I'm not going to settle for not having that um you know and I said can you just tone it down or can we start slow and he he kind of like didn't really say no but he was kind of just like well you know if I have to hold back then that's not really going to satisfy me and he didn't really seem willing to to just take it slow at first and and you know and also I told him well what about the fact that it's satisfying me aren't you going to get something out of that um you know even if you're not actually really hurting me you know anyway I'm just wondering what I could say to him to make him understand that it, this is like a process that we need to work towards uh, you know, it's not just right off the bat. And that can be fun. It doesn't actually have to be about anger and hurting, which is what it seems like maybe it is for him a bit. Here's what you can say to him to make him understand. Goodbye. He doesn't understand right now that BDSM isn't about anger and hurting. It can't be about anger and hurting. Loving, sane, consensual, whatever it might appear to be, look like to somebody from the outside, but loving, sane, consensual, risk-aware, kink, BDSM is not about anger and hurting. It is as far from anger and hurting as possible. What he's doing, particularly if he's incorporating his anger issues into your sex play, is he's taking advantage of your submissiveness, of your desire to experiment with S&M sex to abuse you. Physically and emotionally, 
And you can't okay that. You can't give him your buy-off. You can't tell him that's all right. He doesn't know what he's doing, obviously. You don't know what you're doing, obviously, if you think that there's nothing necessarily wrong with him channeling his anger issues into your sex life, into your sex play. You two need to back the fuck away from each other. Go read some goddamn books, the topic, the topping book, the bottoming book, uh, S&M for beginners, screw the roses, send me the thorns. Uh, there's a lot of really decent writing out there about BDSM, even just online. Go to a munch, get involved with your local BDSM community, and you will find out that you guys are do you know you guys are doing it wrong. Now we've had Mistress Matisse on the show. She said we should, you know, avoid SMers who say you're doing it wrong because there's no right right way to do it. But all SMers everywhere agree that when someone is an abuser flying under the radar because they're exploiting uh, the dynamics of BDSM to abuse someone, that that is doing it wrong. That that is not okay. You can really hurt somebody if you don't know how to tie them up and you do it ineptly. You can obviously really hurt somebody if you don't know how to pull their hair without pulling it the fuck out. Do you know how hard you have to pull someone's hair to tear it out of their head? A clump of it? That's not an accident, that degree of force. He meant to pull your hair out. I don't know what other redeeming qualities this guy has. Uh, He must have some. You say you're in love, you're falling in love with him, you picture a life together... He has to get on top of his anger issues. You need to call the BDSM shit to a halt before you get more seriously hurt than you've already been. And he needs to learn how to separate his anger issues and work through them and conquer them from his sex life. You can't run those things together. And you can't use BDSM as an excuse to run those things together. And you can't allow somebody to tell you that what they're doing is what you ask them to do. Uh, they're giving you the sort of SM experience that you want. Well, what they're actually doing is taking advantage of you and abusing you. You are being abused. No more bondage. No more slapping around. No more hair pulling. None until he gets control of his anger issues. And, and honest to God, I think you should get the fuck away from him. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Smitten Kitten. Smitten Kitten has an amazing selection of products for your sex life. Whether you're single or with a partner, their non-toxic body-safe toys are the best quality products available. Shop their easy-to-navigate, secure website at smittenkittenonline.com or visit the newest Smitten Kitten location at 70 Broadway in Denver, Colorado. Take 20% off any order online or in-store with the code SAVAGEKITTEN. Smitten Kitten, sex toys for everyday people. Hi, Dan. I am an 18-year-old straight male. There's been this uh, girl that I've been in love with for about four years. Um, I've come to terms that nothing's going to happen, but I mean, it's something everyone has known about, including her. And uh, recently I went over to my uh, best friend's cabin, and um, it turns out he and that same girl were starting to become at least temporarily romantically involved. Um, which I didn't necessarily have a problem with at the time. Um, but as it ended up with, I ended up sleeping um, in the same room as they did that night because, you know, alcohol and whatnot. And um, all of a sudden I started basically having sex quite loudly in front of me. Well, they were trying to keep it up, but, I mean, it's hard not to hear. And, um, I don't know, it just really upset me, mainly because they didn't, uh, my friend didn't ever ask me um, how I felt about um, the fact that they were 
getting together, even though, um, you know, everyone knows how I felt about her. Um, I'm not particularly mad at the moment. I just want to know, um, do I have a right to be upset? Should um, he have, like, asked me how I felt or at least, you know, told me to sleep in a room where I wouldn't have to hear the sex and whatnot? Um, or am I just freaking out about nothing and breaking the first rule of friendship, thou shall not cock block? You know, if you've carried a torch for this girl for four years and she's aware that you have a thing for her and your friend, and perhaps all your friends are aware that you have a thing for her, it seems to me that it's probably never going to happen since everybody knows and she's obviously not interested. If she's the kind of girl who will jump into the sack with somebody else, you know, at a moment's notice without any hesitation and fuck that person while there's another person in the room, it seems to me that if you had a chance with her something would have already happened. Clearly, you don't. Now, were they assholes? Yeah, I suppose. They were insensitive, surely. You had a right to get up and leave the room. I assume you weren't strapped to the bed that you were in. Although, if you were, that makes it all much hotter. But yeah, they were assholes. Now, why would they do that? Why would she do that? Your beef seems to be primarily with your male friend and not with her. I wonder what she was trying to communicate to you. And, you know, I don't want to claim to be able to read her mind, but it seems to me that she wanted to communicate to you once and for all and very definitively that you did not have a chance with her and you never will. And you need to be over her. And she, with your friend's connivance, did this kind of unspeakably insensitive thing to really rub your nose in the fact that she's not interested in you because here I am banging this guy eight feet away from you. So let that cauterize the wound. You know, let, let your affections for her wither and die. And chalk this up to teenage insensitivity and cruelty. And, you know, teenagers sometimes have to pile into rooms and cabins and cars and don't have as much privacy as grown-ups. And move the fuck on already. It's been four years of pining away for this girl who clearly doesn't return your feelings And so you need to stop being pathetic, you need to shrug her off, and you need to look around for a girl who will fuck you while your friends are asleep in the next bed. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm calling, hoping that you'll play this for your doctor friend that comes in sometimes and answers questions. Um, I really, really, really hope you will. My partner of three years... Uh, refuses to go to the doctor about this, and I've begged him to, um, and even tried to get his mom to help me to go to the doctor about this, but he won't. And now that we're talking about getting married, I kind of feel like I have a right to know if it's going to affect his fertility. Um, Anyway, he has like a third ball. Basically on the side of one of his testicles, there's like another smaller, very round lump that will protrude sometimes. And uh, it's usually around when he's either erect or after sex from being erect. And sometimes it really protrudes a lot, and sometimes it's just, like, because I'm so used to it now, like, I can subtly see that there's more of a protrusion there. When he does let me fiddle with it, it's not hard inside like a ball, but because sometimes it's so round, I do call it his third ball. Um It feels like there's kind of tissues in there, but they're sort of hard to grab onto. They're sort of... Uh, he says it doesn't give him any pain, that he's had it most of his life, 
but it's pretty alarming sometimes to look at my boyfriend and think there's three balls and I'm worried about his health and also curious about his fertility. And, um, oh, it, it, the reason I'm, I'm calling him super, super desperate today is because the last time I went down on him, um, it seemed like there was lumps at the base of his penis now, sort of at, at the center and also going over to the uh, side where the third ball lives and sometimes it's visible and sometimes it's not. Um, but it seemed like the base of his penis had some kind of lumpy extra stuff going on in there. And I was wondering if whatever this was spreading or maybe the whatever it is that gets inflamed had moved over for whatever reason. Um, I don't know. I hope your doctor friend will hear this and have some idea or at least say something so terrifying that it will scare my boyfriend and go into the doctor and I can play it for him. Time being of the essence here, uh, we're not going to wait for Dr. Brock. I'm going to jump right in there and give my unmedical opinion. Uh, you know, testicular cancer is one of the most curable forms of cancer, one of the easiest to treat and most survivable Bull, bull, bull. But you can still die, die, die from it, it, it. You know, studies have come out that show that married people live longer. And why is that? Because, you know, if you're relying on someone, you know, for love and support, even income, childcare, uh, for their fertility, you tend to be a bit more insistent uh, about them looking after their health. And they are more insistent about you looking after your health. But people who are in long-term relationships will often neglect their own health, but nag their partners to take care of themselves. My boyfriend goes to the doctor usually when I make him go, and I go to the doctor usually when he makes me go. So here's what you need to do. Stop asking him to go see the doctor. Uh, stop getting his mother to nag him. You need to tell him this is a very serious problem, that you are not going to marry his ass if this is the way it's going to be, because you're not prepared to spend the rest of your life with someone who is a pussy, a, pardon me, a scrotum, who's afraid of going to the doctor, and you have made an appointment with a urologist, and you're taking him, and it is tomorrow at 10 a.m., and you're putting him, his ass and all three of his balls in the car, and you're driving him to this appointment, or no engagement. You need to draw the fucking line in the sand, and the life you save may be his own. I don't know what's going on with his balls, and if Barack was here, he would... Uh, Make an educated guess and uh, a more educated guess than I could possibly make and then tell you to do what? Tell you to do exactly what I just told you to do. Get that motherfucker to a doctor. Stop taking no. Stop taking it's always been this way. Stop taking it's not a problem for an answer. Fucking chuck his ass in the car and drive him to the doctor. The end. Hi, Dan. I'm a 20-year-old uh, straight female from the Midwest. And I was calling because I was hooking up with a guy a couple months ago and he asked me sort of mid hookup how many guys I'd been with. And we were just making out at this point. And I didn't feel comfortable answering because I was a virgin at the time. And I thought that was more serious conversation that we needed to be having at the moment. Um, and I wasn't sure if it would go beyond making out at all. So I didn't really want to bring it up because I felt comfortable with it. And he later told me that he had been really offended by this and had seen my, like, not wanting to answer the question as sort of a refusal of him and that I wasn't interested in him in a serious way. I thought that was pretty ridiculous. Um, and I sort of figured you're obligated to tell sexual partners if you have STDs or if you have a kid or if you're married. But, you know, I don't think I, I didn't feel obligated to tell him my entire history unless I was really comfortable with it. Um, I just wondered if this is a common thing that people expect. Um, and if I was sort of right in thinking that I had no obligation to tell him until I was comfortable 
When you say you were hooking up with this guy, do you mean you were about to have vaginal intercourse with this dude? Or were you just... No, I should have said I was making out with this guy. That was more accurate. So you weren't prepared to... It's not like he was going to take your vaginal virginity or one of your other sundry virginities at that moment. (laughs) No, definitely not. We were not, not, not really close at all. I do believe that if you're a virgin... uh, that the person you're about to sleep with kind of has a right to know, you know, there's... No, I think so, too, around. yeah, definitely. Uh, just because sometimes people, you know, that's a zap on the head the first time you have sex, and some people it's regard a, yeah. someone's first as an awesome responsibility, and every, somebody should know if they're about to assume that responsibility. Yeah, I think so, too. I definitely was willing to tell him if it became more serious. It was just like this was, like, we, the second time we'd kissed, you know? So I just felt like it was... It was not necessary yet. I didn't know if we would keep hooking up or if it would be over, you know. So it was not it was well, not so serious to me yet, you know. Well, he had a right to ask whatever question he okay. wants to ask. And you have a right to not answer whatever question you're not prepared to answer. And he has a right to take that however it is he wants to take that. And then you have a right to react to the way he took that, the way that you reacted. Um, right. So I can't really say that I, anybody did anything wrong, but clearly what you sussed out through this interaction was that you guys aren't good together. Yeah. Are, are I, I, did, I brought it up. No, I'm not. Um, he actually dumped me the Monday of exam week. <laughs> well, that probably helped you focus. Uh, yeah. Wasn't exactly helpful. But, um, but, yeah, I guess for me it was just I brought it up later when I when things did get more serious, and I was like, you know, of course, this is something he needs to know now. Um, but at that time I was, you know, I didn't know him very well. I wasn't comfortable with it. So, but, yeah, I, I think you're right. Just a technique debriefing now. When he asked the question, did you ask? Did you act offended? Um, did I tell you that? Like, uh, excuse me, did you get all, did you get in a snit about it? No, I just kind of paused and I said, I'm sorry, but I'm not comfortable talking about it right now. Okay. Uh, with what kind of tone in your voice did you say that? Um, I don't know. I just tried to, like, serious but not harsh. Okay. So that, <laughs> I don't know. I think the best approach when somebody asks for what you feel is a premature disclosure of sexual yeah. history, and that happens in every relationship you're going to have all your life, there's a, there's a point at which you kind of sit down and say, you know, have you ever for lack of a better right. term. Like, you, you, you exchange sexual histories, and your sex partners kind of have a right to know the vague outlines of your sexual history because your yeah. sexual history becomes theirs. And their health and, and everything. Their health. That's well. what I mean. But yeah. Yours becomes theirs because of the health right. uh, consequences. And, and so if you're not ready to disclose it, I think the thing to do, and this is not just me telling you to be charming and upbeat and deferential to a male, because I would tell a male to do the exact same thing to a girl who is asking if you're not ready to disclose, which is right. a little bit like, hee hee ha ha, it feels a little soon, let's get to know each other better, and then we can play Have You Ever, and then, then we can do the full disclosure thing. But right now I feel like I want to maintain a little bit of sense of mystery. But, you know, if things keep progressing this way, we will totally have that conversation and now stick your tongue back in my mouth. Like, <laughs> a way to deflect a, a question that in, early in a relationship that you think is asking for too much information too soon without treating the other person like they asked an illegitimate question. Because it's a legitimate right. question. It just maybe came yeah. a little too soon. Right. I guess also, like, at this point, I'd only, like, made out with one other person in my life. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of asking me for, like, you know, how many people, how many guys have you jerked off? How many guys have you made out with? And I was kind of like, whoa, like, <laughs> and, like, later in the relationship, he, like, 
sort of gave me a written, like, history of his whole sexual history, like, including every person he'd made out with, which was, like, I, I mean, it was it was cool that he was willing to be honest with me, but at the same time, I just was, like, so surprised that he expected that sort of level of detail, you know? That seems, um, that seems, now, that seems a little Rain Man, actually. <laughs> As I said earlier, I think you have a right to the vague outlines uh, and what's relevant. You don't have a right to, you know, a spreadsheet. Yeah, that I think you have a right to sexual... Ever happened. Right, exactly, exactly. And, like, and somebody who offered that to me, I would think they have a screw loose and I don't want to be on their spreadsheet in the future. <laughs> I don't want to be on for the next person to look at. I know, I'm thinking about, like, I guess I'm on there for, uh, for the next person, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck. I hope exams went well. Oh, thank you. Talk and thanks soon. for calling. Sure thing. Bye. Uh, hey, Dan. My name is Brendan. I'm a 25-year-old gay man. Uh, last night, I got myself into a bit of trouble. I met a guy on Grind. He came over, and he was pretty overweight and kind of unattractive to my tastes. Uh, but long story short, I gave him a bit of a pity fuck, during which he told me he was a virgin. Uh, I asked him if he wanted to quit. He said no, so I just decided that we would jerk each other off, and that would be that and I talked him through where to touch me and stuff. Uh, he didn't really want me to touch his dick, and he was kind of too overweight for me to, to give him a blowjob anyway. So I came on his face at his request, and he tried to fake an orgasm, and then he said thank you about 80 times and left. Uh, the whole thing was weird. I feel sort of terrible about it. He clearly had very low self-esteem. Uh, I guess my question is, should I feel terrible about this? Uh, the guy was my age. He said yes several times. Um, also, uh, because he was a virgin, should I have stopped when I found that out? Uh, what is the etiquette in this situation? Uh, I'm really not interested in dating him. He seems to have a lot of problems, and he's just not my type by about 150 pounds. Uh, and he has my number, so I'm sure I'm going to hear for him. Uh, what do I do? For listeners who don't know what the fuck you're talking about, would you please explain Grinder? Uh, Grinder is an iPhone app that can be used to, I don't know, set up hookups uh, with other gay guys. So it's an iPhone app. Yeah. And you can, and basically guys post their picture and where they are right now, and then you can sort of see them. Yeah, exactly. And how did you go about, you know, inviting this guy over to your apartment based on just a photo on your iPhone? Um, I was drunk. You were drunk. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Something like alcohol and iPhone apps to cause trouble for people. And he exactly. obviously didn't look like his picture on the app. No. Because you wouldn't have invited him over if you'd known you were not attracted to him. Uh, no, I wouldn't have. Okay, the general rule of thumb, I think, for Insta hookups, besides they're generally a bad idea, in my opinion, but I'm an old fart, is if you aren't into them and their photo doesn't look like them when they arrive, that's not the kind of bad behavior you reward, so you send them packing. You yeah. know, send them home with your load on their face. So, <laughs> you know, because he, you know, you pity fucked him, you say you felt bad for him, and so you did what you could with him, and you know, maybe you're, you know, motherfucking Teresa for doing that, for blowing that load, so selflessly blowing that load on his face. But I think what you've kind of encouraged him to do, you know, you, you sort of participated perhaps in his low self-esteem spiral, but you've also communicated to him that this works, that he can misrepresent himself and show up and kind of manipulate someone who feels bad for him into having sex with him that may or may not be good for him. 
I think the thing to do, though, if he calls you, and he might not, you know, if it was as squalid and shame-driven an encounter as it sounds like it was, you may never hear from him again. Most likely, you will never hear yeah. from him again. Well, he's texted me a couple of times, but that's what? it. To say what? Oh, just to, like, say thank you again, like, 60 times, and, uh, I don't know, say that there is, like, a sports league I could join in a town I don't even live in. Uh-huh. Well, I think you should then text him back and say, it was really, it was nice to meet you, you seem like a good guy, uh, but I'm not uh, looking for anything regular. Okay. And that's the dodge that saves a little face, because you don't have to say, you ugly, or you fat. Yeah. And it shifts it to you, like you're not looking for something regular, dot, 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 with him. You don't have to include the dot, 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 with him. Right. And in the future, though, I really don't think you're under any obligation to sleep with people you're not attracted to. <laughs> uh, which is, you know, a mistake I made when I was young and first came out. Like, I felt sort of obligated to sleep with people who I'd made some sort of connection with even after I felt like it wasn't what I really wanted. And you get in a lot of trouble going down that road. And I would encourage you not to invite strange men over to your apartment in the middle of the night when you're drunk. Yeah, this, I think uh, I just wanted to try something new. I'd never done it before. And it seemed safe enough, like we had chatted a little bit before he came over. Mm-hmm. Um, and the alcohol helped. But yeah. certainly it was a bad idea. I agree, it was a bad idea. <laughs> Lots of gay people do it, though, and most survive it. If even, you know, one in a million Insta hookups coordinated by Grinder ended in murder. We would hear about it a lot. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Craigslist hooks shitloads of people up all the time, and we hear about the Craigslist murders when they happen, and they're really a, a, a very slight risk. <laughs> that said, you know, look at what you got. You know, people who are hooking, doing insta-hookups don't care about you necessarily. <laughs> so, I think it's best to to meet somebody in public, in person, before uh, you blow a load on their face. (laughs) Absolutely. But I'm grandma. (laughs) That's probably a good idea. Okay, good luck. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Hi, Dan. I have a question. I know you've talked about porn a thousand times, but I need your opinion on an argument me and my husband are having about his porn. Now... He has an entire hard drive, external hard drive, filled to the brim, which I know about, but I was okay with because it was external. I didn't have to see it. But the other day, I clicked on all images on our computer searching for a picture, and what do I see? Not a couple porn pictures, a thousand porn pictures. So I deleted them because... And our agreement was no porn on our computer. He could keep it on the external hard drive. Plus, he has Xtube, Pornhub, whatever. So he came home, got in the big disagreement. I asked him that he likes to throw in my face your comments about porn is natural, but I like to throw back that he should be respectful of his partner. And I think that I'm being pretty... compromising with him by letting him have an entire external hard drive filled with it. So he agrees he'll, you know, go through and take off any other pictures on her computer and limit it and, and try and clear the history or use a different browser when he's searching the porn site, which I agreed to. Fine. Well, our sure enough, our new external hard drive arrived in the mail, which we had 
spot because our second external hard drive, the one we used to save our pictures and our important documents, burned out. So sure enough, I get up this morning. All I do is touch the mouse, and the screen comes up with all the porn pictures being re-downloaded onto the computer and onto the new hard drive. So we, again, get in another disagreement, and I just need your opinion on Am I being unreasonable by allowing him to have his entire hard drive? And why does it have to go on the new hard drive, which I'll be using, which I'll be searching for pictures on, which I'll be putting movies on? He has his own. He doesn't need to back his porn up on our new one. I've adjudicated a lot of these porn disputes in the past, and my advice to couples where one person enjoys pornography and one person loathes pornography and it's almost always he likes pornography, she loathes it, although every once in a million years it's the opposite. You can't tell a guy not to look at porn. He's going to look at porn. The deal that seems to work, the only one that works, is agree to disagree and he can tell you he's not going to look at porn and he's still going to look at porn. You pretend to believe he's not going to look at porn and you know he's going to look at porn and he – goes out of his way to keep evidence of his porn habit out from under your nose so that you can suspend your disbelief and pretend that your husband doesn't look at porn. So in this instance, I think he's being an asshole because he's leaving porn where you can find it. Uh, he's violating this agreement that you guys hashed out that accommodates his seemingly obsessive desire to collect still images or porn clips by keeping them on the hard drive, there's this place you want him to dump this shit so that you don't trip over it. That he's leaving it out where you trip over it is an asshole move. It is inconsiderate. All that said, get a couple of fucking laptops. Why doesn't he have a computer and you have a computer and never the fucking hard drives shall meet? That's the solution you need. Not like... 44 different external backup hard drives full of, you know, porn for him, family pictures for you. His laptop, his private little porn domain world, and whatever else he needs to use his computer for, and your laptop. And don't let him fucking touch your laptop with his greasy fingers. That's the solution you're looking for. But yeah, you know, in this instance, I am on I am on your side. He's being as inconsiderate as the man who leaves back in the day, pre-internet pornography, porn tapes in the VCR, stacks of porn mags next to the bed when he knows that upsets his wife or his girlfriend. It is an inconsiderate asshole move. Hi, Dan. I love your show and your advice, but there's one thing that's really bugged me. I think you're doing a great job helping stop gay intolerance, as one caller even thanked you for recently, saying you'd made him realize how wrong it was. But I would think that you'd frown upon any kind of intolerance. Um, but I feel like you're very intolerant toward religious groups, always making fun and generalizing about Christians. Um, I'm a Christian, and I'm married to an atheist who, like you, is very intelligent and open-minded. However, at my family events, he'll roll his eyes and Christianity is mentioned. They're all Christians. Now, they've only shown love to him, and he'll even tell you that and they've never shoved anything down his throat. So I don't understand why it's okay to make fun of this group of people when you know that every group of people has its own vocal nutcases. You said in one podcast that tolerance is not necessarily agreeing with something but putting up with it, but does that include being kind about it? 
I don't think someone would be considered tolerant of gay people if they constantly bash gay people. So I think constantly bashing Christianity is pretty intolerant. I'm sure you have some open-minded Christian listeners, and I hope that you'll try to remember that. Anyway, I do enjoy your podcast otherwise, when I'm not being criticized for my beliefs. I frown on intolerance. It's true. But again, what is tolerance? Tolerance is not kumbaya, I think you're nifty. Tolerance is, as you quoted me saying, I will put up with you. I will endure your bullshit. Um, too often I do, as many of us do uh, in gay land uh, and on the left where we're constantly being bashed by people who claim to speak for all Christians everywhere, fall into the trap of saying, you know, asshole Christians instead of asshole, fundamentalist, conservative, douchebag, motherfucker, bigot Christians. We don't qualify the word Christian. And that's, you know, we should be dinged for that. But you should be dinged for that. Liberal, left-wing, progressive Christians should be dinged for that. Because for the most part, these assholes, the Tony Perkins of the world, the Family Research Councils, the Donald Wildmans, the Pat Robertsons, they've hijacked your religion. They claim to speak for you in the public arena, and they are not challenged on that by you, by your co-religionists who don't agree with them, your, your fellow tolerant, loving, able-to-marry-an-asshole atheist kind of Christians. Let the Tony Perkins of the world get away with it. And then when someone like me blows up at the asshole Christians, we get mewling emails and phone calls from Christians who go, well, we're not all like that. And I want to say, you know what? Don't tell me. Tell them. In a very public way, tell them. Tell Fred Phelps. Tell Pat Robertson. Exhume Jerry Falwell and tell him. Because I know there are liberal, tolerant, decent, wonderful Christians out there. I even know that there are fundamentalist, kind of conservative Christians out there among my readers and listeners who are decent and tolerant and willing to like let me live in the world and see me have my full uh, civil rights, all my civil rights and gay marriage, content in the knowledge that they're right and I'm wrong and I'll roast in hell for all eternity and God likes them better than me and isn't that enough? I don't have a problem with people who are religious and conservative. A lot of my family members are religious conservative. I don't have a problem with them. Well, religious, not necessarily conservative. I don't have a problem with them. What I have a problem with are the assholes who've hijacked your religion, who claim to speak to you, and they get me exercised. And sometimes I get so upset that I neglect to qualify the word Christian when I'm ranting about them with fundamentalist, bigot, asshole, douchebag, motherfucker, bigot, conservative Christian, social asshole, conservative. And for that, I apologize. When I fall into that kind of shorthand and you feel personally attacked, I apologize in advance. But if you really want to be upset with someone – or someones, or a group of people for your bad rap, for the bad rap that all Christians everywhere are getting, don't take it up with me. Get in the Family Research Council's face. Get in Peter LaBarbera's face. Get in Pat Robertson's face and Fred Phelps's face. Those are the motherfuckers who've hijacked your religion. Those are the motherfuckers who make all Christians everywhere look crazy intolerant. And I frown on intolerance. Intolerance is always wrong, except in self-defense. Just like violence is always wrong, except in self-defense. We have to be intolerant of intolerance. And I am intolerant of Christian branded intolerance. If you have a problem with that, you need to get the Christian brand off of 
intolerance. Really, Christians in America have cornered the market on intolerance. In the public arena, they stand for bigotry and intolerance and hatred. I didn't make it so. I'm old-ish. <laughs> I remember when Christians were, you know, the loving hippies in Godspell and public Christianity was about love and peace and taking care of each other and kumbaya fucking ya. Where'd that all go? And how did it slip away from you? How did it slip through your fingers? I was about to get off your back and one of the texts heavy at risk youth pointed out that she couldn't name one liberal Christian group. She'd never even heard of a liberal Christian group that was screaming and yelling in the in the public square. And I know they're out there. There's Soul Force, which is the gay one, and a couple others whose names escape me. I can't remember them. American Family Association, that trips right off the tongue. Family Research Council, that trips right off the Liberty University, that trips right off the tongue. 700 fucking club. We know all the conservative ones because they scream and yell in public and claim to speak for you all. And there are liberal Christian groups out there and, and pro-tolerance Christian groups out there. And they need to pick up a fucking megaphone. Like I was saying, they need to get in the faces of the conservative Christians who claim to speak for you all and are giving you all such a bad rap and leading people like me to smear, to paint you all with one brush. Pick up the goddamn megaphone. Don't yell at your friendly neighborhood sex advice podcast columnist. For his intolerance, if you aren't yelling a thousand times louder at Pat Robertson et al. for theirs. And kumbaya fucking ya, we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to record a question or a rant, you can rant too for a future program. Give us a buzz, 206-201-2720. Please leave a callback number in case we want to get you on the phone. You download us every week at thestranger.com slash savage. I blog every day at slog.thestranger.com where you can read the savage love letter of the day. And me and the tech savvy, at-risk, abstinence-educated youth will be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.